Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is literary editor Phil Terzian. And I asked you this question in the hallway, and it inspired me to drag you yet again and lock you in the podcast room and force you to speak. The debate over Donald Trump's appointments, and some have been reviewed as spectacular. Others have been reviewed as less so because they involve the World Wrestling Association. Worst cabinet pick ever. And your first top of the mind answer is... Janet Reno. Janet Reno. I can think of a dozen reasons why that would be the case. Why do you put her as worst pick ever? Well, partly because of the process by which she was picked. Good point. The thing that puzzled me about Janet Reno is that Bill and Hillary Clinton had been planning their presidency, as far as I can tell, their entire adult lives, <laughs> and had been networking and attending conferences and Renaissance weekends for decades. If anyone arrived in the White House with the fattest Rolodex in history, it would have been the Clintons. <laughs> And their first appointment, as you'll recall, as attorney general was Zoe Baird, who, as you know, had a minor tax problem with a nanny. A nanny, exactly. And she was then replaced by Kimba Wood, a federal judge who- Well-respected. Well-respected, married to a journalist, and probably would have made a perfectly good attorney general. But she, too, as I recall, had a nanny problem. And at that point, the Clintons were- the, the larder was empty. Um, which amazes me that two high-powered political lawyers didn't have a long list of exactly. lawyer friends or judge friends. But instead, they cast around and learned about, I guess I guess they were under the gun. It had to be a female. And they learned about this uh, Dade County prosecutor uh, and of whom they'd never heard. And anyway, that's how Janet Reno got the job. Now, she's an example of events kind of guiding people to a less than optimal choice. And of course, she was able to stay for the entire eight years. Pretty, pretty unusual for an AG because of all the dirt she had on the Clintons. Right. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> and they were terrified of having to go through the approval process of somebody else. Exactly. So I'm going to put you back on the spot. A pick that was bad, not on, not on purpose, but you know what I'm saying? Like they were picked because they were supposed to be good. And then they really... Didn't, or maybe the flip side, somebody that was a problematic pick who turned out to be surprisingly good. Well, I'll, maybe there's a third category. Okay. One of the one of the attorneys general that I'm not very uh, fond of, and it's probably a minority opinion, is Robert Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy uh, was 34 years old. In my opinion, uh, somewhat unstable individual who had been counsel to no less than Joe McCarthy in the Senate, then had been counsel to the Senate Rackets Committee, which is a nice job. But that was the, essentially the sum total of his public service, aside from being his brother's uh, campaign manager in 1960. It's hard to imagine in the modern age if, say, George W. Bush's 34-year-old younger brother right. had had a comparable background and had worked in the Bush campaign that anyone would even seriously contemplate him as attorney general. It's interesting to me that you casually mentioned that he was Joe McCarthy's you know, uh, legal guy because, of course, McCarthy and McCarthy is McCarthy. People listening right now who are younger, that that's like saying he was, you know, Hitler's attache. I mean, it's like, what? Exactly. So given that you have a depth of knowledge that the average person doesn't have, why do you say you think that Bobby Kennedy was unstable? Well, I I never really thought about it until about 10 years ago. I was sent a couple of biographies of Bobby Kennedy by the Wall Street Journal 
to review. Uh, one of the, the the bigger, the longer one was by Evan Thomas, who's done a series of kind of popular historical biographies of that sort. Uh, and the other one I can't recall offhand. But the thing that struck me about him in the course of reading them was that he really did have this volcanic temper, which he didn't control very well. Uh, an example of which I, I suppose you could say, I mean, one of the principal things he did as attorney general was pursue this legal vendetta against Jimmy Hoffa, right. the ex-president of the Teamsters, the president of the Teamsters, which he may have been justified in doing, but it really had a Inspector Jarvey aspect of obsession and uh, revenge. And there are just a lot of examples of his, I mean, he really was a kind of ashtray throw screaming, uh, fundamentally unstable individual. That's what I came away with. So, Attorney General, not a good job for somebody with the Judicial I'm going to punish my, <laughs> punish my enemies mentality. Then you had another AG pick, who, you know, picked due to necessity, if you will, by Bill Clinton, Janet Reno, who turned out to be terrible. And, of course, the whole fiasco of Waco and the idea that you could be in charge of what happened at Waco and keep your job still – when I explain to people what happened, how horrific and unnecessary it was, younger people don't believe me. They don't oh, believe no, that if, you could if, cause essentially the slaughter of a bunch of children over overzealous and incompetent behavior. But, but so, so those are two AGs. I happen to know that you have a third bad AG pick in your pocket. Before we get to that, I want to ask you about Donald Trump's pick, uh, Senator Sessions of Alabama. Well, I, I I don't want to say I'm a friend of Jeff Sessions. I don't know him, but I have met him various times. I have a slightly nihilistic streak in me about politics. As you know, uh, Jefferson Sessions was appointed to the federal bench uh, when he was a U.S. attorney uh, during the Reagan administration, and he was rejected, um, I think, for a completely unfounded and unfair and to some degree supercilious Grounds, And then X years later, he got himself elected <laughs> to the United States Senate, which I've always thought was a wonderful turnaround. Every Absolutely. time I've ever encountered him at receptions, I've always I, – I, after I tell him I once briefly lived in Alabama, by the way, I, <laughs> I really have always enjoyed that feature of your career. Best uh, revenge. Best, the best revenge. revenge. I mean, I, I didn't uh, – he had a – perfectly good, if not sterling, reputation in Alabama mm. uh, uh, when I was there. He was a, he, he's not what his critics describe. He's, mm. I mean, he's a conservative, unquestionably, but he's a highly competent lawyer who's been in the Senate now for, what, three decades. Mm. Uh, he was he was a U.S. attorney for eight, eight or ten years. Um, I, he would have been a perfectly good federal judge, um, probably a kind of center-right federal, mm. the sort of person they would think about the Supreme Court if it were a Republican president. So, I mean, ostensibly, he's a fine choice. The question is, are people who, uh, you know, over the age of 25 who grew up in places like Alabama, are they disqualified from federal service right. because of their, uh, their age mm. and, and where they were born? I, I hope not. Well, what's interesting to me is his willingness to uh, prosecute uh, schools over the issue of segregation. Uh, you know, they had to follow the guidelines, and he was very much a rule of law guy on that. His willingness to prosecute uh, criminals who were inspired by race, although he doesn't support hate crimes laws per se. He took on Klansmen who were violent, and, and everyone agrees he did an exceptional job. And he strikes me as very much a rule of law guy, the kind of guy that if he were a ref 
on a f- sports field and the play went against his own team, you know, the team he was pulling for, he would still throw the flag and say, look, you know, I, I wish it weren't the other team, but I, I, I got to do what I got to oh, do. Absolutely. And, and in historical terms, he's a little after the era when, right, exactly. when U.S. attorneys... Uh, Presidents wouldn't have touched U.S. attorneys on certain issues right. in the Deep South. Sessions is past that era, but but even when he was the U.S. attorney, it was the early and mid 1980s. The South was still in a kind of transition period. He was, by any stretch, by any measure, he was a entire not only competent but entirely fair and just right. U.S. attorney. So your third choice for awful. Pick as another attorney general, do they meet the fair and just and wise standard? No, I'm not judging them on that basis. <laughs> okay. the, the, the person I'm thinking of is Ramsey Clark. Ah, okay. And at this point, it's hard for people to remember that. Ra- I mean, Ramsey Clark is uh, someone we know who lives in Greenwich Village. And whenever there's a terrorist incident, you can be sure that the terrorists uh, are uh, being represented in court by Ramsey Clark. That's or, right. or when the hostages are being held in Iran, right. when they need a a sort of clownish American lawyer to come over and give aid and comfort right. to the Iranians, it would be Ramsey right. Clark. Believe it or not, he was Attorney General of the United States at one time. The thing I most remember about him... Um, it, to be sure, he was a kind of stopgap attorney general. It was the last year of Lyndon Johnson's presidency. Ramsey Clark was the son of a Supreme Court justice, Tom Clark, who was he from Texas? Anyway, the, Johnson may have felt some kind of mm. pull toward Ramsey Clark, who'd been in the Justice Department. The one thing I mostly remember about Ramsey Clark is that he was attorney general in the year 1968, which, if you were alive at the time, <laughs> Was, you know, we talk about a divided states of America. I mean, we had urban riots. Mm. We had college campuses literally on fire, mm. people dying in explosions. Mm. It's, it's an atmosphere that's far worse than the present moment. The president of the United States couldn't go anywhere except military bases to speak to an audience. Right. It was a very contentious. I mean, it was the closest I think we've come in modern times to worrying about the with reason to worrying about the future. Anyway, Ramsey Clark was the and, and of course, it, that was also the, one of the summers when all the, um, you know, 30 or 40 major American towns and cities blew up in in mm-hmm. in urban riots. His main concern was gun violence and um, uh, gun control and so on, which obviously is a, 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 a evergreen topic for discussion. But <laughs> but under the circumstances, exactly. it seemed terribly irrelevant to what was going on in the country. So irrelevant or incompetent or out of control. Those were the three options that we had. You know what I need to do? I need to get you back for another podcast in the coming days. Since you stuck to one office, the AG's office, and since we don't have a Secretary of State pick yet for Trump, we'll have you back on and we'll have you rate the three worst Secretaries of State when we have a chance. Philip Terzian, literary editor, thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. By the way, you can subscribe to the Weekly Standard Podcast at iTunes.com. They will automatically appear in your iPad, iPhone, iWhatever. It's absolutely free. Just go to iTunes.com and look for Weekly Standard. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.